As we uh, have just left off from worship, we begin this morning by the concept of being lifted high, that God would lift us to a place, Clay used the word to a transcendent place. Transcendence is a word that we typically don't use in everyday uh, conversation, but it's an important word. Transcendent means it's above what we normally would think. It's a bigger picture. I don't know if anybody saw last night the rainbow. Anybody see the rainbow? Yeah, beautiful, right? And uh, we went outside and and, uh, just all four of us, our family stood in the driveway and just marveled at it, wept a little bit. And uh, I whispered to my son, boy, God's done it again. And he said, yeah, (laughs) I love that. And uh, so we took a picture of it, in case you missed it. Isn't that gorgeous? Yeah. I tell you, Photoshop cannot uh, capture the beauty of it. You can see kind of to the left there, it's kind of flared up. The, the, the glow of it was just so amazing on both ends. It, it, of course, it's a full circle, but from what we could see, the glow of it and the thickness, it was just, it was remarkable. It's those moments, whether you're standing in front of a a rainbow like that or the Grand Canyon or Niagara Falls or Siesta Key or wherever that may be, that you just, aren't there, there, it just takes you to a different place. And all of a sudden you kind of feel like, wow, this thing's bigger than I can imagine. And it's very much that way in, in, in life, in our spiritual life, that there is this existence, there is a stratosphere that is higher. In fact, Paul wrote to the Colossians and he said, set your minds above, set your hearts above on things that are above, not here below. I would love to be able to stand here and tell you, man, I'm always living in that stratosphere. Man, my mind is always so sacred and transcendent, but it would only make you feel guilty because if you're like me, you'd wonder why you're not there all the time because there is a gravitational force not of bad things, but of just life, of, of, of light bills and mortgage payments and dentist appointments and schedules and stress and all those things. And, and we have to intentionally take ourselves to this, this transcendent level, to the bigger picture, to a bigger plan. Because even as we sit here today, there's something going on. God is always up to something. And in order to tap into that, we have to kind of intentionally rise to it. It doesn't always come to us and it will never, will never tune into that bandwidth just randomly. It, it, when Paul said, set your minds and your hearts on things above, that means we have to move into that. Here's another big word for you, intangibles. Intangibles are those things in life that are past what we would think Intangibles are those things, tangibles are the things we see and touch and all that, and tangibles are the important things that we might miss. So tomorrow starts school. I brought a picture today of my dining room table yesterday, and on my dining room table, this represents, if we go to that slide, this represents only a half of, of uh, what we, uh, we have. On our dining room, at our dining room table, there's a guy sitting in a hoodie. No, sorry. 
I thought we, I'm like, who is that in my dining room table? Excuse me. There we go. And uh, this is only half of the stuff. That you, and if you're a guardian parent, grandparent, uh, mom, dad, you, you know, getting ready for school, man, and, and the older they get, now they're in more classes. And so each teacher has, oh, you got to get the mini stapler and this kind of notebook and spiral bound and three ring notebooks. And my, how, and how do you put all this into a backpack? You know, I see my wife over there like jamming and, you know. And so when you think, okay, now they're going to go to school with all these tangible items, notebooks, textbooks, pencils, pens, erasers, and all that stuff. And you say, now why are you going to school? The tangible answer, just to give you an example, is to learn. As we would say in the old days, writing, reading, and arithmetic, right? They're going to learn social studies and how to write and grammar and language and all that stuff. But as they're in that environment as a student, that's only the tangible activity. There's intangibles that they're learning. They're learning discipline. They're learning deadlines. They're learning the price of procrastination. I repeat, the price of procrastination. <laughs> they're learning tolerance. They're learning how to act and how to respond to the bully. They're learning over the course of time that they're just as valuable as the star quarterback. These are all things that we all have to learn. Those are the intangibles. So in the spiritual life, there are these things. There's this transcendent story that sometimes, maybe a lot of times, we miss it. And certainly we miss it in completion. We don't all, we only see partially here while we're on earth. But there are things that, that, that are going on. And probably of all those things that are going on, Today we focus on one that is so real, but so difficult to wrap our human minds around. And what I'm speaking about is a spiritual warfare. We, we talk about it a lot in church, in the church world, in the church culture. We sing songs about it. And my message to you today is if you were to anticipate what we might talk about today as a spiritual warfare, you might come across some things that would automatically come to mind. Perhaps your mind would go to 1 Timothy chapter 1 where Paul said, fight the good fight. Put some energy and passion into that. You might think of 2 Corinthians chapter 10 where Paul said, look, the weapons that we fight with in the spiritual warfare are not the weapons of the world. They differ. Or you might go to the most well-known chapter in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 6, and you might think, oh, I know what it is. It's, it's the armor of God. And it's the, it's the, it's the truth and it's the faith and it's the sword of the, of the spirit and the word of God and all those things. And it's true that there's all those things, but I want to try to move our minds perhaps to the intangible things because we're, we're talking about our identity in Christ. And today we're going to focus on our identity as soldiers in this army. Now here's the thing that we can easily miss when we come to Christ, we are enlisted into the army of God. Whether we know it, probably we don't. To be honest, I had no idea of all the layers that were taking place when I simply said, Christ, I accept the gift, accept the offer. The Holy Spirit ignited something in us when we came to Christ. We now had our names written in what's called the book of life and the book of revelation. We now have our eternity secure. We now are part of a larger group of uh, the body of Christ. So many things happen in that moment that you'd have no idea 
that are happening at a transcendent level when you simply on earth say yes to Christ. One of those things is that whether you like it or not, whether you feel it or not, whether you see it or not, or whether you comprehend it or not, you are now enlisted into the army of God. So we become soldiers of Christ. That is the identity on which we are going to focus this morning. Now, when we're soldiers, there is a, a sense of, of excitement about that. But I know that most of us would agree that war is awful. War is fierce. War is ugly. War is, is, is something that God looks down on and says, ah, oh, I wish it weren't that way. The hundreds of billions of dollars that we spend on def, uh, defense and, and warfare, and it, it, it's just mind boggling. And yet it is necessary to have those things in place to defend nations and, and, and peoples. And yet, if it were up to God, because sin entered the world, he would, he would hope that it, it, it wouldn't be there. And I'm sure that's the same with the spiritual warfare. That for whatever reason that we find ourselves, and there are many, by the way, it would be up to God that we wouldn't be in warfare because the end of the transcendent story, there is a tremendous war. Uh, at the at Armageddon, there is going to be a war of all wars that, will, that we're heading into. And that will be a point in history where it will be tangible, measurable, awful. But we will be the victors in that, in that war. It will be a war that will be fought like no other war. John did his best in describing not only what God was showing him, but what he was actually seeing. Meanwhile, we fight this spiritual war, as Paul would say. And we begin today in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Now, sometimes we move around a lot on a Sunday morning. I know some of you say, wow, it's hard to follow because we're moving so fast. There's sometimes that we hover. So today, thankfully, we're hovering. We're not going to be jumping around. So if you do have your Bible, you want to follow along, we'll, we'll be planted for the most part here in Timothy the second letter, the final communication from the Apostle Paul on the planet Earth that we have in our possession. Paul wrote to his young protege, and he said, I want to remind you of your identity as a soldier, but he goes into detail about what that would require. And he goes into detail because there is an image that we have fighting as soldiers and he begins in chapter 2 and and, and verse 2 pardon me chapter 2 verse 3 Paul said to Timothy endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ now take note of that adjective good because we're going to come back to it of Christ Jesus no one serving in the soul as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs he wants to please his commanding officer. Now, I'm sure that Timothy by this time hanging out with a guy like Paul understood that he was a soldier, that he had been enlisted, that there was this bigger plan going on. But Paul is not informing Timothy that he's a soldier. He's reminding him of what it takes to be a good soldier, an effective soldier, a soldier that is really moving forth the front line because there's all kinds of soldiers. There are compliant soldiers. There's lazy soldiers. All are enlisted. But Paul is saying, man, I want you to be a good soldier. Now, 
If you're of the male species, you'll know that growing up as boys, we all had some kind of toy gun. It's just instinctively in us as boys, even if you don't give us a toy gun, we're going to pick up a stick and act like it's a gun. I'm seeing literally smiles across this room and, and the men thinking, yeah, there's something attractive. There's something not uh, uh, about like just playing with it. And, and having the guns, we have super soaker squirt guns, we have dart guns, we have crawl, yesterday I saw a crossbow with a big air thing with a big suction cup that whizzed right by, past my head right and smacked into the wall. We have Nerf guns, we have all kind of play, play guns because I have two boys at home. The challenge for us is that we can have a childlike picture of what warfare is like. And unfortunately, we all know that there is this serious, this awful side of war. But in the spiritual realm, as, as followers of Jesus and as soldiers of Jesus, we can have a limited child view of what it is. And it's a lot more than meets the eye. See, when it comes to spiritual warfare, I've been in church long enough to know that and have sung many songs like we're stomping the devil under our feet. And, we, and that's all well and good. But it's kind of a, a surface level because there, is, there are requirements to be a good soldier that are difficult. And this is what Paul is trying to communicate and what I'm going to attempt to communicate this morning. In other words, what are some things, not all things, but what are some intangible, some things that we might not think about? Not just the learning of the reading, writing, and arithmetic. But the discipline, the tolerance, the patience, those types of things that would be required. And I would propose to you that for a soldier in the armed services, that this is, these intangibles that we're going to talk about are the make and break it. This is, the, this is what will make a good soldier or just a regular soldier. This is the, these intangibles that we're going to talk about, I would even propose to you in some ways are more difficult to obtain, difficult to practice and engage and exercise than it is learning to do a hundred push-ups or learning how to shoot squarely in a target. Those things can be learned. These things must be lived that we're going to talk about. So let's dive into the first one. And, and, and as I approach the runway, let me just say that the, the, when we are recruited into certain things, the recruitment cell, as you, as we might say, has a little more glamour than it does for the reality. Have you ever noticed that? It is that way in, in church. This is why we refuse at this church to say, hey, just say this little prayer after me and then boom, you're in. It's more valuable, more serious coming to Christ. I don't think Christ operated that way. He had conversations with people. And that's why we say at the end of our service, that room is open. We're not going to play any sappy music to get you back there. If you want Jesus and you want to have a decent conversation with someone about it, that room is available. Hope that you find your way back there and have the courage to do that. That way we'll know it's real. That way we'll know it's not evoked because when soldiers sometimes come to the to the recruitment stage, like, hey, here's the banner. Here's the thing that looks so shiny and polished and the guys and the very, very elegant looking uniform with the polished gun. I, I'm, I have not seen a recruitment poster yet with someone who is who is half alive on a battlefield. 
In fact, you, uh, many of you know, I, I love studying about the Civil War. And I love studying about the Civil War because it sounds strange, but the suffering and the brutality of it is inspiring in a very strange way. What these soldiers went through and endured fighting for what they believed to be a transcendent plan and, and purpose is just, it's, it's ridiculous. Not many, not all soldiers, in fact, there's a vast number of soldiers that died in the Civil War. Not because they were hit by a bullet or a cannonball, but they died of disease, they died of starvation, they died from the conditions of the weather. And those stories for me are inspiring because I think, golly, if they were willing to do that for an earthly battle, what am I willing to do for a transcendent spiritual battle? It's important that we have references, especially living in a very comfortable American culture. It's very important for us. So as I was looking into the recruiting aspect of, of the Civil War, I ran across a couple of posters and Patriots, your country needs you. One at 25 men, the Union, of course, this was for the Northern troops, the Union forever. And when you read that, you think, oh man, that, 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 that's something I just want to get involved with. It didn't talk. There's no, not even a disclaimer on these rally round the flag boys. There's no, nothing on that poster about starvation, about 10 degree weather in Pennsylvania. About having to smell what war smells like. There's nothing on that recruiting. And there are times in the Christian arena that I have become intolerant of the recruiting posters of like, man, come into Christ and you'll have, your life will be wonderful. Don't believe that poster. It's not how Christ intended it for it to be. Christ said we're about to sign up for something that's serious. Something that's fierce. Something that I will equip you to fight. But I would rather have that on the poster so that when you say yes to Christ, you at least know what you're getting into. And then you won't come back to me and say, you didn't give me the full story. When we look at this poster, I'm reminded of how they recruited in the Civil War, by the way. There were recruiters that rolled into town and they had a uh, musicians with them. They had the fife and the and the the fiddle and drums, and they came in, and they had uniforms. You see, to these farm boys in these rural these rural sections, to have a uniform, oh man, that meant something. And to have a gun that looked so shiny, and they all marched, and they were marching in step. And man, I wanted to be a part of that because I fell for the illustrious side of it. And not knowing the brutal side of it. In fact, I found this article. Let me read an excerpt for you. Of the Civil War. Sometimes the patriotism of a gathering. A recruiting gathering. Would be wrought up so intensely by waving banners. Martial and vocal music. Burning eloquence. That a town's quota would be filled in less than an hour. That everybody like, wow man, we needed 80. We got 80 in less than an hour. It needed only the first man to step forward, to put his name down, be patted on the back, and then placed up here on the platform and cheered to the echo as the hero of the hour. Then when a second, a third, a fourth would follow, and at last a perfect stampede set in to sign the enlistment roll, and a frenzy of enthusiasm would take possession of the meeting. The complete intoxication of such excitement 
left some of its victims on the following day. In other words, the excitement wasn't there after the rally had left town, especially if the fathers of family with a sober second thought to wrestle with but pride that tyrannical master rarely let them turn back. How well said. So what happened for many of these, they got excited about, I'm in the army, as we can get excited about, man, I'm a Christian. Okay, we're going to have to fight. We're going to what? Oh, wait a minute. And these intangibles, what happened in that war is that there were many thousands of deserters. This is not what I signed up for. And none of us would want to be considered a deserter, but there are ways that we can inadvertently become a deserter. When a person deserted, when a soldier deserted in the Civil War, it was not uncommon that they would be shot by their own side. And if they weren't executed, many of them were branded, not tattooed, but branded with a gigantic letter, a D for deserter. It became their identity. It's the identity, we're talking about identity, but we're also talking about identity theft. It's an identity that our enemy wants to brand on you to make you feel like you have deserted. And Christ is saying, not so fast. I have you in this war. I can empower you if you will only set your thing, your mind on things above. And so when you look at this, this sense of desertion, Paul understood that as he wrote this letter to Timothy, his last letter, which he wrote from an imprisoned state. If you're in the Bible with me, all you have to do is just look up to the previous chapter at the end of chapter 1. And Paul begins to teach Timothy what a good soldier is by the tool of comparison. And in chapter 1 and verse 15 of Second Timothy, he says, You know, Timothy, that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me. They became deserters. You'll notice that he didn't say some or half or a lot. He said everyone. Everyone thought this was going to be something because they heard the stories of Peter in jail. And by the power of God, the doors bust open. But see, Paul's door wasn't busting open. This is why we don't use recruitment posters and statements. Oh, everything is going to be good. And then all of a sudden you get a financial ruin or your relationship breaks up. Or you're having tough time in your marriage. It's like something must be wrong. I'm going to desert. That's the purpose. That's the transcendent purpose of your enemy. So these people looked at Paul and they said, wow, this, the, I, what happened to the, the power of God? I'm not sure I signed up for this roughness. I'm not going to put myself out there. And they became deserters. You know that everyone in the province of Asia have deserted me, including Phagellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household on the Sephoris. 
because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, where Paul was imprisoned, he searched hard for me until he found me. Here's the first intangible for a good soldier, which is deeply difficult. It is the mindset of no soldier left behind. That mindset to really, in the midst of warfare, to go back across enemy lines, no man left behind, and to have that, it's not a skill set. This is not how many push-ups you can do. It's not how many spiritual push-ups you can do. It's not how long you've been in the faith, enlisted in the ranks of God's army. It's not knowledge. It's not how much you know the field manual. This is a mindset, not a skill. And to have a mindset is a very, very difficult thing to develop. If you said, I want you to, if I said this by next week, I want you to memorize five Bible verses. Okay, that may be difficult. That's difficult for me, by the way. I have to work hard at memorizing. I'm going to say, for God's or love, uh, what is it? Oh, for God's or love, the word, for, for who? For God, you know, I, it's hard to, for, for me, for whatever reason, to memorize word for, for word. If I, but I could work hard enough at it where by the end of the week I could do five. I cannot in five days or a week's time develop a mindset of no man left behind. It takes time because it's difficult. When I look at this passage and notice that everybody has deserted Paul, I'm like, see, they lost their mindset and they became deserters. Now, let me be specific in what I have to say. When it comes to the church world, the body of Christ can be this impersonal bush that we hide behind like Adam. Well, I, I bet you that these people who deserted Paul perhaps didn't desert their faith. They still might have been Christians in Asia, but they deserted their squad. You see, there are times for us as Christians where we say, well, I, I'm not, I'm not going to leave, you know, the whole faith, but I, I might leave, leave my squad here. And you think, well, how would I leave a man behind in my squad? Let me tell you a couple ways. One, the first way is the lack of deep care for one another. You see, you've heard me say it. The next couple things I'm going to say, heard a million times, heard you say it a million times, that we can be, we are busy creatures as Christians. Man, we're out doing, 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 doing. But right here, right on this row, there may be a person going through a very difficult scenario. But see, because I'm busy, I've left the man behind. I must care, and that is tough. I will promise you, any day of any week, of any month, of any year, of any decade, of any century, that it is so much easier to give something out and say, Whoo, boy, I feel great. They congratulated me. They love me. Rather than walk with someone who's going through an awful divorce for two years and hang in there and call them or whatever the thing may be. You understand? You see, that's difficult. But that, my friends, is a good soldier. And that is the more difficult and tangible thing. Yesterday, we had a tremendous small group. And what was tremendous about it was it wasn't everybody you know, airing their laundry and being so transparent. Because you know I don't believe that in a group you can only go so far. But what was happening was some stories. 
some stories of some one-to-one encounters where men who have gone through some very and are going through some very challenging things understood that they were not left behind. There were men in our group who were walking with them on a long-term basis. And I drove home, man. I'm like, this is it right here. This is what the world looks on and says, wow, I don't have that. And I wish I did. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Cool, that's good. But then he specifies, and especially to those who are in our squad. You see, I can say, man, I'm super Christian, but how am I in my squad? What I mean by that, my local church. Am I in a, am I working closely with people? Am I walking with someone? Am I really caring at that deeper level? And not only caring, as you would expect me to say, discipling. Paul says in the verse before our key verse, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, here's, we can inadvertently leave people behind, not even thinking about it, or not even meaning to, not intentionally doing it by overlooking the deeper cares and being willing to walk with somebody. But we can also overlook uh, 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 the need and, and, and leaving a man behind by not pouring into that man or woman uh, what, I, what God has shown me. That's called discipleship. In other words, they can be left behind on the field because no one has walked with them. Watch, Paul says it this way. The things, Timothy, that you've heard from me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. In other words, don't leave them behind. You've got to bring them along. So the first intangible is this, a mindset where we leave no man behind within our squad. Now, here's the one that's going to step on your toes a little bit. Aren't I nice to give you a forewarning of, uh, that it's coming? It's discipline. It's discipline. When you look at a soldier, I have someone in my family who was in high school, uh, 17, 18 years old. He was kind of lanky, a little bit uncoordinated and, and not an athlete and none of that. He decided to join the armed forces. At first, I was like, "Wow, that's gonna be a that's gonna be tough." And then I saw him and pictures of him. And when you look at him now, you're like, "Wow, that is amazing! What has happened to his body? I mean, it looks like mine now." I'm just kidding. <laughs> you laugh. Buff, is that a word? Is that an okay word in church? <laughs> I don't know, like, sometimes I've said things like, I can't believe you said that. I said it? I didn't know I said <sighs> Like this, man. Because of the physical discipline, the PT, the running. I had a ministry once for three years that every week I met with thousands of soldiers at Fort Knox, believe it or not. And I met with them on the ninth week of their 16-week basic boot camp training. And it's just amazing what they told me they went through, the rigor and everything. Okay, you ready? For us, that's the easy part. In other words, you can, you can learn, if, he can, if my family member can learn to do that many push-ups, then I'm thinking, wow, that, it, it's doable. 
But there is a discipline for a soldier that goes past the physical discipline. When we talk about discipline in church, we often think about, okay, I got to read my Bible more and more regularly. I got to pray more and all that's well and good. But there is a discipline for a soldier that is very important. And it's the discipline for if you're writing notes, here's your second intangible. It's the discipline of a single mindedness. Discipline of single mindedness. You see, when a soldier goes on a mission, they can't be distracted. In fact, Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 4, no one, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs. You know, when you're entangled in something, I took an early walk I normally do on Sunday mornings and uh, it rained and for some reason there's more spider webs out because I'm usually out in the dark and, and you're walking like, ah, you're entangled in it. And when you're entangled, it's always this blockage of a movement. You're going from point A to point B. That's what entangled means. You don't get entangled usually sitting still. Like, oh, I'm entangled. That, that doesn't make sense. What Paul is saying to Timothy, as you're trying to advance, be careful that you don't get entangled in civilian affairs. Keep a single-minded focus. And in order to do that, it's going to require something much more difficult than learning how to do a 100 push-ups. Much more difficult than the discipline of reading your Bible every day. It's going to take a discipline of your mind to stay focused. Now, we fight as soldiers on two warfares. One that you're going to say, got it. One that might surprise you. Here's the first one. We fight good against evil. There's evil in the world. When you talk about spiritual warfare, that's where our mind automatically goes. Man, spiritual warfare. In fact, as that would be part of the civilian affairs. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 12 says it well. He's talking about the mature, the effective soldier. Solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves, discipline, have trained themselves to distinguish between good and evil. In other words, if you've been in the ranks for long enough, you should know by now what that is. Now, I could put a list up on the screen. Here are the things that are that are evil. Lying, stealing, blah, 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 and all these habits. I could list them all out, and you're like, duh. I would know that, right? So can we move past the obvious battle? Because when you look at a strategy... I was talking to someone yesterday about some of the battles of World War II and the strategies of these of these leaders. Often an army falls because they miss the second battle. In other words, an army comes like this, but meantime they're sending more troops around the back and they fake out the enemy and they think, oh, this is the real battle. You've seen it a million times, right, in movies. And it's like, here's the real battle. Sound them up from the back. And they come up from the back and it's like... And then they get them like that. And so I could be a general. Don't you think? I mean, I feel like I got it down here. Listen carefully. The battle that I'm going to speak about now in this second intangible of discipline of single-mindedness takes far more Christians into an ineffective place than the battle against good and evil. Do I have your attention? It is the battle that we miss. It's the battle that comes behind us. It's the battle that's not right in front of us, the one that seems so obvious when we're running, when we're, when we're reading about this battle. It is not the battle of good versus evil. Are you ready? It's the battle 
that requires the discipline of single-mindedness. It's the battle between good and best. Good and best. Here's the deal. In the American culture, we all know that there is a plethora. That means a wheelbarrow full, a truckload of good things. And because we think, well, that's a good thing, well, that's a good thing, and that's a good thing, and that's a good thing, there are certain things that, that there are certain better things and best things and harder things that because we're doing so many good things, it's at the expense of the best things. I'm telling you, over 30 years in the ministry, I see it every week of my life. Christians, good-hearted, we're good-hearted people, we're, we're nice people and all that, who are involved in so many good things that I would say, but are you, are you doing this? I know you're in an act group or a small group, but golly, are you even showing up half the time? No, because I'm so busy doing all this other thing. I'm like, well, there are men and women being left behind on the field because you're so busy doing good things. I'm in an act group, I'm in a small group, but have you spent one-to-one time with anybody in that group? No, because I'm doing blah, 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 fill it in. Now, I know I'm stepping on some toes. I'm happy about it, actually. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Why would I be so passionate about what I'm saying right now? I'm passionate because on this planet, I am driven by a transcendent plan, and I want as many soldiers to enjoy the jazz of it. Because if you're so scattered, you won't understand the jazz. So let me pick on parents because I'm one. And I can pick on myself. When the plane's going down, who's the first one to put on the oxygen mask? The adult, right? The adult puts on the mask first because if the adult doesn't put on the mask first, then the child dies too. In the spiritual realm, as parents, we must put this on first before we put it on our kids. As a parent, I am, there's just a flood of bounce house and horseback riding and baseball and softball and, and, and good things that you want your kids to be a part of. And sometimes what happens is we put our kids in this and this and this and this and this and this, but I can't put them in youth group because I'm this and this and this and I can't go to small group this and this. Woo! They're going to explain, and our whole family is dying, choked off by good things. That makes sense. It is a subtle battle that we face. I've seen people who are, are in ministries around the city. Great. Please hear me. I'm saying it's good. It is good. But be careful of what's happening in your squad. What's happening in the squad. In the New Testament, this never gets hit because of that. Good things. Does that make sense? I know it's an ouch. I get it. I get it. It's why Paul wrote in Galatians chapter, First uh, Corinthians chapter nine. He said, "Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. In all things." I read this article. I brought an excerpt that says it so much better than I can. Listen to these words: Soldiers of Christ are not. Merely to be well-rounded dabblers in all types of pursuits. Wow. They are tough-minded devotees of Christ 
who constantly choose the best priorities from a list of potential selections. I'm telling you, I hope you'll trust my voice and my word and my heart today. I see so many soldiers who are soldiers but not good soldiers because the greatest tool of the enemy that I'm seeing in our culture is this list of potential selections. There's so much to do. I've said it before. Heck, you can't even go in the cereal aisle without being inundated by all the good cereals. Franco Chaco or <laughs> Cheerios or whatever it may be. Paul prohibited the loss of single-mindedness for good soldiers. 360, like many other churches, is a accumulation of inspiration. I, When we planted this church, I was inspired by different men, different pastors in this country, and we have extracted different pieces from them. One of those men, his name is Larry Osborne. He's the pastor of the uh, North Coast Community Church in San Diego. It's a wonderful church. It's a big church, about 10,000 people. It's a big city and all that. Now, uh, I read his book, Sticky Church, and we've taken some of his model to, to apply to our small group ministry. It's kind of where we got some of our things from. Now, our church, all living bodies included, um, from children to adults, were about 700 people. And when we started... You know, I had six. Life is different now. We have seven, eight staff members. We have many needs. We have 25 to 30 small groups. We have discipleship running with nearly 100 people in it. We have people we hire from the outside, cleaning people, payroll people, accountants, security. You know, my job is busy. Now, before you think I'm whining, I'll tell you another thing I do. Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Before you think I'm whining, it pales in comparison. I can't imagine leading a church of 10,000. I'm like, how do you do that? It's a city, isn't it? Like 10,000 people. And the reason I bring it up is that in North Coast Community Church, they have small groups every week. We do them every other week because we, we put in discipleship in between those weeks. But they do them every week. Pastor Osborne is a speaker all around the country. He does these conferences and blah, 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 blah. In addition to leading a 10,000-member church, and here's the reason I bring it up. In his book, Sticky Church, he points out the fact that over many years, the number of times that he has missed his own small group, not that he leads, but he just participates, you can count on less than a handful. He said, because... My squad is important. He could be have every excuse in the world, good things, conferences, and meeting with pastors and whatnot. I've met Larry Osborne. I flew out there, met with him, spent some time with him. A wonderful man, got a good heart as we do. So I hope that you'll hear my message as Paul would warn Timothy, be careful. Don't get entangled in civilian affairs, which could be good. To try to focus because I'm a firm believer. And I would quote Bill Hybels from Willow Creek Church that the local church is the hope of the world. We know Christ is the hope of the world, of course. 
But the local church is where we grow deep. It's where we bring up, have accountability. It's where we, 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 uh, we, we make a lot of scratchy noises. Sorry. It's where we disciple. It's where we grow. And this is, this is the thing that these people in check, they saw. And we cannot at the expense of the squad do all these good things. In fact, Hebrews chapter 12 says it so well. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily, there it is, entangles. We must throw off some good things off the boat. And that's a tough message, is it not? Here's one more thing before we go to our final intangible on this issue, because it's a big one, is it not? Would you agree with me that this is an issue? We're so inundated with good things, are we not? I have to guard and guard and guard and guard. Not so much about evil things. I mean, there, there's all that out there as well. But I have to guard more against the good things so I can do the best things for Christ. Because here's what's happened. Now, let's go transcend it for a minute. Put on the thinking cap and put on the transcendent deal. In a group of people, have you ever noticed... Are you guys looking up there? Have you ever noticed when somebody looks up, other people look up? If I said, oh, and I start running out, wouldn't half of you get up and run out? You don't even know what you're running out for, right? We're mimickers, are we not? That's the way we operate as human beings. So I go, ha, ha. You're like, ha, ha. What are we laughing at? That's just the way we are. When I'm sporadic, I'm sending a message that it's okay to be sporadic. And it's not. It's not. I only sometimes think in my very tangible world where Paul is saying to Timothy, no, you're affecting other people. Your faithfulness will say, man, I want to be faithful. Your passion will affect someone who else's passion. Your joy. Have you ever been around someone that's just happy and you weren't happy until you hung around that person who's really happy and now you're happy? It's power, isn't it? We rub off on each other. So Paul say, man, dig down deep. Choose the best. In the Old Testament, when, when they were getting ready, to, when the armies were getting ready to go out to war, the officers stood in front of them. We have this in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 20, I believe. Yeah, where the officers would stand in the army and say, hey, have you got a new house? Did you just buy a new house? You're dismissed. You're dismissed. Take care of it because it's going to be, you're going to be entangled with the wow, I wonder what's happening in my new house. Did you just get married? You're dismissed. Because I need that officer saying, I need people with single mindedness here. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 8, he says, Now watch, the officers shall also add to all these things. Is any man afraid or faint hearted? Let him go home right now so that his brothers, transcendent stratosphere so that his brothers will not become disheartened too it is not we know this from rick warren about you it is about the person who's trying to march shoulder to shoulder do you giving all does it mean something to god yeah but it also means something to ever who you're next to you choose the best someone else will see it and they may pick up their step be faithful to your squad. All right. I'll get off that bandwagon. You'll be thankful. Our last intangible. Comes from 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4. 
Paul says again, no man, no one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Now, every soldier understands the, the, the rank of command. If you're a private, you salute a sergeant. If you're a sergeant, you salute a major. If you're a major, you salute a general. And it, it rolls up the chain like that. I'm sure there are soldiers that do that because, are you ready? They are supposed to. There are other soldiers, are you ready? Because they want to. Our last tangible, uh, intangible, uh, transcendent character quality of a good soldier is this. An eagerness to follow leadership. Provided they're leading on the right. That, that includes human and, and, and God. Man, there are times where I'm telling you the most encouraging I am in this squad it's when I see those that are not analyzing every little nook and cranny, not paralyzing us by like, okay, okay. but those who say, man, let's go because it's a kingdom, man. It's like that player on the team that says, what's the plan? That's not my plan. I don't care. Man, what's the plan? You ever seen a player like that? What's the plan? I've got to tell you for the coach, it's like, whoa, I got somebody that's like, hey, here's what we're going to do. It may be a plan that's not perfect, by the way. It may not be a plan that's just uh, all worked out. But man, that eagerness to, to say yes for a soldier, it takes them from just being a saluting soldier to one that is a, a jazzed soldier, a, a eager you remember Jonathan? He was David's best friend. He was Saul, the king, king Saul's son. The Israelites, God's people, were in a war against the Philistines. And they both were on high ground, but they were separated by this big chasm and these steep cliffs. And Jonathan got this idea. He said, I'm going to do a little recon. I'm going to go down this cliff. I'm going to go over here. And with my hands and feet, no belayer, by the way, I'm going to climb up this steep cliff and he turns to his private and he says, here's what I'm going to do. Watch the response. His armor bearer, it's his private. Jonathan says in 1 Samuel chapter 14, Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, hey, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men, the Philistines. Perhaps the Lord will act in our faith. Perhaps that doesn't sound like a good plan to me. We're going to climb up in the middle of the enemy territory. I really don't have a great plan, but maybe God will be for us. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. And the armor bearer answers, do all that you have in mind. Go ahead because I am with you, heart and soul. And if I looked at that plan on paper, I'm like, that's not a great plan. But because of his eagerness, he followed in verse, in verse 13, Jonathan climbed up using only his hands and feet of the steep cliff, uh, this cliff and with his armor bearer right behind him. In an American culture, we are taught to analyze until we're paralyzed. We're taught to scrutinize. We're taught to make sure it's my plan and I agree with the plan. Oh, for the soldier that says, man, let's go because it's for the kingdom. I feel like I'm in a civil war recruiting. I need a poster for the eager soldier. And it all begins in the prayer room to say, God, it ain't about me, man. It's about your transcendent purpose. Count me in. Watch, we end with this 
2 Corinthians 5.14, Christ died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for us and was raised again. This week, I, somebody uh, brought in a, a weapon. It was made in 1939. It was a Russian-made weapon. It's called a, a Mosin. I, I brought a picture of it. And this the, the exact gun that I held is heavy. Made in 1939, used in World War II. has a bayonet on the end, and it's, it's uh, not sophisticated whatsoever. You hold this weapon, you realize that it, it was used in World War II against Nazi armies. And as I held it there, I'm like, wow, man. And we began to talk about the most pivotal battle in World War II, which was the Battle of Stalingrad. Hitler had already taken a lot of Europe. He had already bombed uh, London. And then he did a fake move, as he did so many times in, in Stalingrad. In Russia, I should say. And he, uh, they had made an agreement that they wouldn't fight against one another. And yet he broke that, that agreement and he began to come in and take Ukraine, Belarus, different regions. But Stalingrad, Stalingrad was kind of the heart of the country. And in 48 hours time, he came in as he would do. And, and, and in just 48 hours, he dropped over a thousand tons of bombs and nearly destroyed every dwelling place, civilians, everybody, and just wiped them out. Russia, because they loved their country, just didn't sit down for it. And they called people that were not soldiers. They now identified farmers and factory workers. You're now a soldier. You're now enlisted because you're part of this operation. And they handed them guns just like that. It was in the history books. One of if not the most bloodiest battles. In a span of five months. About two million people died. Unbelievable. They called as many. It was a, it was a war of volume. It was not a war of sophistication. And Russia called every known male here because Hitler's plan, when he took Stalingrad, he wanted the oil and he wanted some of that as a strategic leader would do. But his plan, are you ready? Was to kill every single male being in that entire city and deport every female and child probably to their death. Do you feel the transcendency? The higher purpose. All these men. Volumes of Russians came. And said we got to take our city back. Problem. They didn't have enough guns. Not every soldier got one. So the way they. They lined up. Is let's say Dave here has a gun. And I'm behind him. I'm just carrying the bullets for Dave. I feel like Barney Fife. You know, just get the bullet. Not if Dave got shot, but when Dave got shot, now I get to pick the gun up and hand the bullets behind me. It was about an 85 to 95% chance that those soldiers would not survive. 
and yet they fought. Because they were driven by a transcendent cause. You see, I read those tangible stories of earthly wars. And I must look at us. How much would we dig down for the transcendent battle in which we are engaged? Are we willing, truly, to engage in a mindset? I'm like, wow, man, I got to throw some good stuff off the boat. The things that hinder me from doing the best, the things that entangle me from doing the very best of caring for someone at a deep level within my squad and discipling and building up so that the world will know. That's the fight. And these are the intangible things that are so terribly difficult. I end with a question. Are you in? Are you in to be a good soldier? Let's pray. Father, thank you. For this incredible, unbelievable, incomprehensible gift of being used in the kingdom of God. To be used at a transcendent level, God, when all we can see at times are cars and homes and schedules and stress. I pray simply, God, today that you would, by the power of the Spirit of God, otherwise we're lost. By the power of the Spirit of God, elevate our minds, our jobs, our families, our activities, our finances, everything about our life, every fiber that you would elevate our mind to look through transcendent lenses, God. That we would be willing to truly audit ourselves, our schedules, our good things. Father, are we so inundated, swimming in the deep end of good things that we can't get to the best things. And in doing so, God, inadvertently, unintentionally, are there, are there men and women who are being left behind? I pray, God, for a squad mindset in this church. A mindset that cares. A mindset that is disciplined. A mindset, God, that is eager to serve you. I pray for a church that will truly pray that pay the price. Not just to be enlisted as a soldier, God. But to be a good, effective soldier. I pray it in the name of our commander in chief. Jesus Christ, amen.